All right. Well, if you have kids or undoubtedly have been around kids, we all know that kids kind of sometimes say the craziest things. Sometimes their grammar is wrong. Sometimes they don't understand what they're saying. Sometimes they articulate things really well, and you're like, how did you know that? So that happens sometimes. One of my favorite things right now, Roman, our three-year-old son, uh, he doesn't know how to use the word she. she. He uses her for everything. And so when he's talking about his older sister or our cat, for example, he'll say her wants a toy, her wants to go outside, her is hungry. And so it's really funny. Right? And so, of course, it makes sense then that when kids pray, they sometimes pray really funny things. And so I have an example of a couple of kids' prayers. I'm just going to read them to you as we begin this morning. Here's the first one. It says, Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I get big, but not with so much hair all over. <laughs> so that was from Sam. Here's another one. Dear God, if you let the dinosaurs not extinct, we would not have a country. You did the right thing. <laughs> So that's Jonathan. Next one, dear God, if you gave me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money or my chess set. <laughs> Which, I mean, this is a great example of how we often are with God. If you do what I want, I'll give you anything unless I actually want it. And so that's good. Here's another one. Uh, we read, though, Thomas Edison is what she's tried to say, made light. But in Sunday school, they said you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Sincerely, Donna. We got two more. Dear God, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There is nothing good in there right now. <laughs> and then last but not least, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works well with my brother. <laughs> and so that is Larry. And so, hey, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. If you have a Bible, there's a black, you can turn there. If not, there's a black one around. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. As we continue our story through the gospel of John this morning, we're going, or Mark this morning, we're going to see the disciples in a story where they are invited to ask for and seek the power and presence of God. And what happens when we actually don't do that? And so if you're new with us, we've been going through Mark. We're over halfway done. So those of us that have been sticking around, Mark is just one of the gospels. It's the account of Jesus' life. Uh, last week, if you were here, we saw the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus essentially goes up onto the mountain with three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he reveals his glory to them. And God the Father says, this is, this is my son who I am well pleased with. Do what he says. And then Jesus, for the second time, tells his disciples that he has to suffer and die. They're kind of confused about how that can happen if he's supposed to be a king. And then he comes back down the mountain to greet his other disciples, and they're going to see a dispute has arisen when Jesus was gone. And so here's what it says, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. It says, when they came to the disciples, so when Jesus and Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples, came down to the rest of the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, that being Jesus, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Right? So again, Jesus and his three disciples come down the mountain. They see the rest of the disciples and the scribes, and a, an argument has taken place. There is a big crowd. Uh, when the crowd that had formed had seen that Jesus was now here, they unsurprisingly all run and go and see Jesus, uh, because they, who doesn't want to see him? We see this all throughout Mark, from the miracles, from his teachings, whenever he arises or shows up, everybody goes to him. So there's a fight going on. Jesus shows up. Everyone goes to him. And then verse 16, it says this. He asked them, so Jesus is asking them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. 
He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. So Jesus is here, and in the Greek, the context here is that Jesus is asking not his disciples, but the religious leaders, why they are arguing with his disciples. And the connotation here in Greek is not just like a dispute, but like it is combative, it is heated. Uh, You probably think literally a fight is going to break out at any moment. And so he wants to know what's going on. But before the scribes or even his own disciples can answer, uh, a man arises and says, what's happening here is that I brought my son to you to be healed, but your disciples could not do it. He has suffered lifelong seizures, and he was hoping Jesus could do something about it. He finds Jesus' disciples, but they were not able to heal him, and likely this is the source of contention between Jesus' disciples and the religious leaders, right? The religious leaders are kind of against Jesus and his disciples and what he's doing. They're probably saying, see, this is why what you're talking about isn't true, uh, why you might be demon-possessed, because you obviously can't provide this healing, and so a dispute had arisen. And then verse 19, it says this, He replied to them. So Jesus replied to the people, to the crowd. You unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, so the spirit and the boy, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So two things to point out here real quick. The first is while this boy suffers from seizures or maybe even some form of epilepsy, if we were to diagnose it in modern terms, uh, Mark is clear, at least in this specific instance, uh, that when it says the spirit saw him, that his condition was caused by demonic and evil forces. And so that's the cause, the root of the problem. And then Jesus says something kind of harsh, right? He says in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? Now, this, crowd, or this statement likely comes from a sense of sadness on Jesus' behalf, both by the unbelief or the lack of faith by the crowd, uh, but also that he is not going to be around any longer, that his time remaining is short. And so when will they trust and learn to believe and to follow him? And then it says this, verse 21. It says, how long has this happened to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into a fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. So what you see happening here is that this father, again, further explains what's going on, how this has been a lifelong struggle for him and his son. Undoubtedly, the father has done many things to try and heal his son. Nothing has worked. He is very desperate. He likely is very excited when he hears that Jesus and his disciples are in the area that thinking maybe they can heal him. And so he finds his disciples, and yet he isn't healed. And so you can understand the trepidation and the discouragement of this father, right? Your disciples couldn't do it, so I don't know if you can do it either, right? Can anybody help me, right? And so he's asking Jesus, can you do it? Will you have compassion? Is it possible for you to do what clearly no one else has been able to do for me? And then Jesus responds by questioning or by telling him or by noting that his ability is not the problem. Right? Jesus' ability to do what anybody asks him to do is never the problem. 
The problem is, of course, whether or not this father trusts that Jesus can actually do what this father wants him to do. In other words, Jesus is telling him, I can do it if you believe. And I think it's really for us to consider, if you think about the things that you are dealing with in your life, the struggles, the disappointments, the discouragements, what you are going through, I think it's, just worth, it's worth us stepping back and asking us this question if you consider the hardships you're currently dealing with, and that's this. Do you believe that Jesus can? Do you actually believe that Jesus can do anything for you, for the situation, for what you are going through? Now, I'm not saying if you absolutely 100% believe he actually will do it, but in my experience, a lot of times, while we might intellectually assent to, yeah, he can do this, we don't actually think he really can or really will. And so I think it's just good for us to read this text and to, so- and to ponder and to think of our own lives, right? Do you believe Jesus actually can? Now, I think it's also worth pointing out, this is a specific instance with a specific man. This does not mean that your belief or lack of belief is, is withholding what God wants to do in your life. You should not read this and just automatically assume the reason why I'm going through pain, difficulty, and hardship is because I don't have enough faith. In fact, some of you are really trusting God and are still in a really hard place. And so this is a specific uh, situation that we can learn from, but we should not assume this is how it's always supposed to work. Uh, It reminds me of the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, which we'll actually read about in a couple of weeks, where you have this man who does everything, who has followed all of the law, and he asks Jesus, what else do I need to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus tells him, all you need to do is to sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And it says the man left away dejected because, you know, he had many possessions. And so, again, I wouldn't say you should read that story and assume if you really want to follow Jesus, you need to sell everything. However, we should read that and, and think of our lives, where am I not being generous and trusting Jesus uh, financially? And I think in this situation, in some of our cases, the, the reality is we really don't know if we believe that Jesus can. The things that you are going through, do you believe that he actually can? That's the offer that Jesus is giving this man. You are dealing with something extremely difficult, and you're not sure if it can happen, but do you actually trust that I could do something about it if I so desired? In your life, in your hardships, do you believe Jesus can? It reminds me of what James says in James chapter 2. It'll be on the screen when he's talking about prayer and following God. It says this, you desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. Or verse three, you do ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So it could be we don't ask. It could be because our desires, our motivations are wrong, but it certainly could be, and just, I'm not saying in every situation, but it could possibly be in your situation or mine that we have not because we have not actually asked. And I'm not talking about like the five-minute Hail Mary prayer before you go to bed, God, would you please do this? But like intentionally, consistency, seeking after the Lord and asking him to move. Now, again, what's hard when we're talking about generalities is all of our situations are specific. And so, again, some of you have asked and some of you are discouraged. And if that's you this morning, keep listening. I hope to encourage you. My encouragement to you would be to keep asking and don't assume you have not because you have not asked. But again, other situations, I think we do have not because we have not actually asked. And so if that's you, the invitation is to keep asking. 
And again, what we see happening here in the, in the gospel of Mark is something that happens over and over again as Jesus heals with, uh, deals with this father and this boy. And that's this, that what Jesus does reveals who he is. So what he is going to do here is yet again reveal himself and who he is. What we've seen throughout the gospel of Mark, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, is that most often in the gospel of Mark, we are not told that Jesus is Lord. We are shown. We're only shown a couple of his teachings. Other than that, normally it's what he does. But even in his brief teachings and in what he does, they're all showing that he is Lord. And so, for example, if you've been here, we've talked about when Jesus talked about rather fasting or the Sabbath or ritual purity, he confronts the Pharisees and they're mad at him because they, they, they say that you're talking about these things as if you're the one who is in charge. And in all those situations, Jesus says, yeah, I was the one who instituted them. Therefore, I have the authority to tell you how they are supposed to work. Or even in many of his miracles, from walking on water, from healing the man that was demon-possessed uh, in the graveyard, to healing the deaf man and the blind man, or to calming the storm in the sea, all of these things that we have seen time and time again in the Gospel of Mark, is that Jesus is performing miracles that in the Old Testament, only God actually has the power to do that Mark is trying to show us who Jesus actually is. And the invitation to Jesus from Jesus to this man is for this man to believe who Jesus actually is, that he is God who has come and who can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so that's the invitation. It's not if I can, it's if you trust me or do you trust me. And so here's what happens next. Mark chapter four, or rather Mark chapter nine, verse 24 says this. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Right? Jesus says, do you actually trust that I can? And this man very honestly says, well, I do, but I guess I don't trust you enough. Can you please help me trust you in the way that you are asking me to do? Right? Clearly, this man has some belief. After all, that's why he sought out Jesus and finds his disciples. And now he's with Jesus, trying to get Jesus to do what no one else can do. But he also recognizes that his hopes and his need to, uh, for, for trust in Jesus need to turn into full, actual, blown-out trust in Jesus. But again, if you're this man, you're facing an impossible situation that no one has been able to help you with, that even Jesus' own disciples could not help you with, of course you are having a hard time believing. But he wants to, right? And so here, the father is admitting he wants to believe, but can't help his doubts, and he can't help his discouragements. And so he's asking Jesus to help him believe more fully. Now, again, if you consider the things that you are experiencing, the, the discouragements and the disappointments you are experiencing in your life, when we read this, we should also reflect and ask ourselves this question, right? Have you asked God to help you believe? Like, have you actually gone to him and been honest about your discouragement and say, Lord, would you help me trust you? Would you reveal your spirit to me? Would you be with me? Because here's what, how I've, for me, I think for many of us, what often happens when we think we need to have more faith is that we turn to books or podcasts or sermons or this information to teach us about God. And we think if we know enough stuff, then we'll have more belief. And I'm not discrediting those things. I think those things can be helpful. But have you actually gone to Jesus himself and asked you to give you faith? Right? There is nothing wrong with pursuing those other things. 
But how often do we just go straight to the source and say, Lord, I need you to do for me in my heart what I cannot do for myself? It reminds me when Finley, uh, she's about to turn seven, her oldest daughter, when she was three years old, she had this phase where she wanted to put her shoes on, which is great. You want your kids to like learn how to put their shoes on. But when they're a little kid, it's like hard for them to get their foot in there and do all the things and, and Velcro and all that sort of thing. And so little sweet Finley, it would be five and 10 minutes of her struggling and saying, no, don't help me. And I'm like, how is this happening? Like, you're just like the sweetest thing ever, right? And so it got to the place where we would have to tell her like five or 10 minutes before we went somewhere, hey, it's time to go so that she could struggle long enough so that then I could help her, right? Now, again, you want her to learn, but after a while, it's like, it's time to go. And I, as our younger son, Roman, he is now three. And if you know me, know our son, you know Roman, he is awesome, right? But he is not Mr. Sweet. He's, he's pretty strong-willed and has his own opinions. And so I'm thinking, oh my goodness, when he, when he turns three, and he says he wants to put his own shoes on. He's not going to let anyone help him. And we're going to have to sit there for 30 minutes until he, because he's just like, no, don't help me. I'm going to do it myself. But he has never been in that phase. Never. I'm like, sweet Jesus. Now I say that, and I, I, I kid you not, this is a true story. Yesterday, I went to take the kids to the park. I said, guys, get your shoes. Roman likes to get his shoes, but he's, also, he's often like, you can just put them on. He says, no, don't help me. I want to put my shoes on. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's here. He's about to turn four. Oh, my goodness, it's here. So anyway, he's about to experience it as well. And I just, I just say that, again, because you need his help. Right? You need the Lord to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. You need him to help you trust and follow him. And so one of the things that you can maybe help you in this is to start pray, to pray for a specific and maybe what you might consider small things. What we've seen through the gospel of Mark is that God never asks us to simply have blind faith, right? Jesus, when he rebukes his disciples, it's not their lack of belief that's the problem. It's that they've seen Jesus move in the past and they're not trusting him for the future, And so are there things, daily rhythms and practices that you can implement in your life to specifically ask God for small things and see what he might do to give you the faith to trust him for the bigger things? But get in your life, in your struggles, in your disappointments, have you, have I asked God to help us believe when we don't have enough faith? That's the invitation that this man is asking Jesus to do for him. And so here's how Jesus responds, chapter 9, verse 25. It says this, when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. So what does Jesus do? He sees a crowd quickly forming, and as he often does, because he's not just about displaying his power for the sake of displaying his power, and not simply to perform a show, he does what this this man asks, he helps this man's unbelief, and he heals his son quickly. The problem, however, is that as he heals his son, it looks like the opposite has happened, right? It looks like that he has 
died. And again, understanding and remembering the context of where this was written, last week we saw in Mark chapter, the beginning of Mark chapter 9 with the transfiguration that Jesus tells his disciples, the three that were with him, that he must die. And they're confused as to how he's supposed to die if he's supposed to be king. Of course, we know that Mark is giving a hint of what is to come, that Jesus' actual death, the boy doesn't actually die here, but it looks like he's dead. But Jesus' actual death seems bad in the moment, right? This boy lying on the ground, it seems bad in the moment, but his healing and his victory and his power comes by conquering death and showing us that he has the ability that not even death can hold him down. And just like this, this little boy who looks dead, Jesus is going to bring him and heal him to show the people who he actually is. And then verse 28 says this. After he had gone into the house, so Jesus leaves, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And so as often happens, after everything goes down, somehow, sometime later, we're not told exactly, you know, how long this took place or what happened after it. He takes his disciples into a house and he privately explains to them what he taught or what he did. And in this case, they are wanting to know, God, Jesus, why couldn't we do this? Again, the disciples up until this point have healed other people. This is not their first time doing this and it's worked. So why isn't it working now? In this case, why did they fail to do what they have not failed to do up until this point? What is the reason? And we see here that Jesus tells them or explains to them that it wasn't the power of the demon. It was their lack of understanding of where their power came from that was the problem. Right? Put it this way. The problem in this particular story is not the power of the demon. The problem is the disciples' lack of faith that they didn't understand who actually holds the power and the glory. It was not them. That they needed to seek and pray and ask God to do it, not rely on, on their own understanding and on their own power. Right? Very clearly here, the problem is that they were depending on their power and their teaching and their ability, and they lost sight of who actually holds the power and who actually moves. It's not us, but it's God. The problem here was they didn't ask for the power of God. They thought they could do it through their own ability, their own understanding, and their own experience. And this, this is so often true of us. That we have a really difficult road, we have something really difficult in front of us, and we think, I've got to listen to the podcast, I've got to talk to the right people, I've got to live a certain way to do all these things, to get God to do what I want, because ultimately it is up to me. And Jesus is telling his disciples that you have missed it here. It's not up to you. It's up to me. It's up to the Lord who you need to ask to move on your behalf. Or maybe to put, an, put it another way, maybe to put it in our modern context as we think of the things that you and I are experiencing, right? The problem is not only external. The problem is how we think we can overcome it. So some of us are experiencing really difficult things. And again, what's hard here is I'm, I'm giving general <laughs> principles to specific situations. And so you know your situation and you know what's going on. And some of you are in really impossible situations, right? There's just not much you can do. But some of us, we're, we're in really hard situations as well. And we're thinking the only way to fix it is through external things. I've got to learn more. I've got to do the right thing. I've got to talk to the right people. And we're trying to find all these ways that we can overcome our problem. Instead of asking God and seeking God and asking the Lord to do for us what we cannot do for Himself. 
And in this story that we read this morning, both the father of the boy and the disciples are, rely, are, are invited to rely on the power and the provision of God. That's what's happening here. And this is the picture of the gospel, that Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that we don't rely on our good works and our trying really hard and our trying to gain God's favor somehow by doing good things and not doing bad things, but that we rely on the, on the man, the God who became man to do for us, to live a perfect life, to die a death that we deserve, and to defeat death and, uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection three, day late, three days later. To invite anybody who would follow and trust and believe in him, even in our partial belief, even in our doubt-filled belief, even in our sinful belief as we go and continue to live our own lives. There is grace and mercy for anyone who would want it, and not because of us, because of him. And so again this morning, as we consider and as we think about the things that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing, the hardships that you're going through, uh, that maybe your family members or friends are going through, here's the last question I'll pose to you this morning as we consider the difficulties happening personally and around the world, and that's this. Where have I set limits on the power of God? Where have I set limits on God's power because we thought it was about me and what I do, and how I behave, and what I think, right? Our problems, hear me, are not all a result of a lack of faith, nor are they 100% fixable by simply having more faith. And so again, in your situation, you know, I, mean, I, think, I think you know where you are, right? If you're experiencing a really difficult situation, and you've been trusting God, it is not that you simply need to have even more faith for him to move. But on the flip side, sometimes we aren't trusting God. And he is inviting us to trust and experience him so that when he does move, we know that it was him and not anything we try to do on our own. And so this morning, here's the encouragement for you and for me, whoever we find ourselves, whatever we're going through. Don't let the reason you have not be because you have not asked. Don't let the reason you're struggling and you're addicted and you're depressed, and you're on your own, be because you are privately suffering when the Lord is inviting you to experience his grace, whether in community or through his spirit. And so what I want to do this morning in just a second, we're going to do it in just a second, we're going to end a little bit differently than what we typically do. Um, but I think it would be just inappropriate to read a text like this and then to not spend some time asking for God to move. Not to do what Jesus has clearly done in this text. And so in a second, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the band on the stage, and they're going to play um, just instrumental music for, for a little bit before we go into our closing song. And then in a second, I'm going to invite, we have some people that are, that are going to pray. They're going to, some people are going to be standing in the back of the auditorium or up here, and I'll be up here. And we're going to take some time to pray. And my encouragement be, would be to you that if you have something that you want to be prayed for, that you would come to one of us around the room, and you would allow us to pray for you. And do not let your pride, or you're thinking people are going to see me stop you from experiencing the power of God in your life. Because here's the deal. If you get up and go get prayer, you're just being honest. Because I know many of us in this room are facing some really difficult, hard things. And so during this time, I'll invite you to go in a second to the people that are standing around. You can also, of course, stay in your seat and privately pray and ask the Lord to move. Or if you're sitting next to a friend or someone who knows what's going on in your life, Maybe you can ask them to pray over you. And then we're going to go into a closing song. And at any point, if you get up in the, in the middle or the beginning or the end, at any point of the, for the rest of the service, 
If you want prayer, would you go to one of us? We're going to be here the whole time. And again, do not let be the reason you have not be because God, because you have not asked. And so I'm going to invite the band onto the stage. Those of you that are going to be praying, if you guys want to uh, go to your spots. And we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time praying. If you need healing this morning, we don't, we don't know. I'm not, this is not a promise that if you ask, you're going to get healed. But why don't we ask? <laughs> like, why don't we ask and see what God would do? If you're addicted, if you're depressed, if you're struggling, if you have a family member or a friend who is physically suffering or is struggling, can we join you in that prayer? Can we do that for you? Again, do not let, be, do not let the reason be you have not. Be because you have not asked. Let's be honest. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray together. And so again, if and when you're ready, would you go to someone that would love to pray for you and the band will lead us in a second. If you need prayer during the songs and you feel convicted or feel led to get prayer while we're worshiping, would you go to somebody and so that we can pray for you? Let's ask God to do what only God can do because that is clearly what the invitation that Jesus is giving us in this text. So let's spend some time in prayer.